pleasure uh, this morning. Um, I have the pleasure of introducing uh, a gentleman who's a good friend and uh, just a, a dear brother in the Lord. And uh, most of you know Jeff and Linda. And uh, so we get to uh, have the privilege of, of hearing from God's word as Jeff uh, leads us through uh, those things that God has laid on his heart. So Jeff, uh, come on up. Give Jeff a welcome, would you? Thank you. And good morning. Can you guys hear me? We didn't do a mic check till right now, so this is it in the back. Okay. They're, you're either saying yes and you don't want to hear or it works. We're going to be looking this morning at a very, very familiar old passage uh, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, if you want to head there, we'll be there in a few minutes. In the past few weeks, Pastor's been going over this uh, sort of conclusion of the book of John. John said that his book was written so that we might believe, and we've spent several weeks talking and thinking through what it is exactly that we need to believe. But belief's not the end of the story for us. Belief is the beginning. Belief then moves into action, changes in behavior, a change in focus from inward to outward. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at this very familiar passage and see exactly what it has to say to us today and how we might be able to apply it to our lives. It was well over 32 years ago, May 27, 1987. Anybody remember 1987? Yeah, a few of you do. Uh, 1987, I lived in Colorado Springs, and that particular day, May the 27th, I received a message from then President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. That message said, in part, the President of the United States of America, to all who see these presents, greeting, know ye that reposing special trust and confidence in the patriotism, valor, fidelity and abilities of Jeffrey John Sladko, I do appoint him a second lieutenant in the regular United States Air Force. This officer will carefully and diligently discharge the duties of the office to which appointed by doing and performing all manner of things thereunto belonging. Sounds pretty fancy, doesn't it? I didn't know what most of it meant back that day. Um, that same day, I was required to swear an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I was to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. According to my commission, I was to obey and carry out all of the lawful orders of every officer and the president, who was more high-ranking than I was. And in addition, the president gave me the authority to give lawful orders to those subordinate to me. 
that same day, shortly after I made that oath, I was handed my orders. I was to move from Colorado to Mississippi to attend Air Force pilot training. Sometimes, I think, if you're like me, some of us wish life was so simple still. Don't you wish sometimes that God would just give you a piece of paper that says, on this date, report to this person and tell them these things. Or maybe you want one that says, in September, begin attending this college. Or maybe next year, be prepared to start at this new job. Sometimes life isn't quite as clear-cut for us as it was for me that Tuesday morning, May the 27th, 1987. This thing that we typically call the will of God is sometimes for us ambiguous, foggy, difficult to discern. And we really wish that something would just pop up right in front of our faces that has a date, a time, a name, and a place to go. In a way, I think that God has done that for us. But we begin to miss things in the busyness of life. We begin to miss our focus. We begin to look for answers to the wrong question instead of looking to the one who has all the answers. So this morning we're going to dive into Matthew 28 and see exactly what it is this thing called the Great Commission. Pray with me before we begin. Heavenly Father, this is your time. These are your people, and this is your message. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be words that these people need to hear. I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak would be words that will engage these people and change lives. Lord, as we look into your word today, illuminate it for us. Help us to see and understand. Help us to have eyes that see and ears that hear. And because of your word in us, Lord, change us. Make us more like you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Just like I received that commission back in 1987, the disciples received a commission from Jesus. Matthew 28, we'll start in verse 16, and while you're going there, I just want to give you a little background to where we're at in the story. Jesus had been crucified, buried, and three days later, he rose again, just like he promised that he would. He had seen some of the disciples occasionally, several times actually. He'd restored Peter to his full standing and forgiven him for his... uh, Uh, denial and he had told the disciples go up to a mountain in Galilee now Galilee is like 90 100 miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified and buried so it was a several day journey to get there for those who were in Jerusalem but most likely most of the people who were followers of Jesus were either from Galilee or 
already lived there. So that's where he told them to meet him. Let's pick it up in verse 16 now. Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always until the end of the age. This section of scripture is called the Great Commission, and many of you have probably heard that, but it's quite possible that some of you don't actually know what a commission actually is. So I wanted to start there and make sure that we are kind of all on the same page about what this really means. A commission is a transfer of authority from somebody who has it to somebody who doesn't so that that person will accomplish a very specific mission with it. Webster's Dictionary's definition says, a commission is a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. The second definition says, an authorization or a command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. When I was commissioned by the president, I was delegated his authority to carry out all of the duties that I was supposed to do, and I had the authority to make other people do what I needed them to do in order to accomplish the mission. Jesus was commissioned by his father. Remember, during the time that Jesus was here on earth, Jesus had let go of some of the authority that he had. He gave up his right to hold on to the things that made him who he was. He laid them down willingly, became a man. Not just a man, a God-man, a mixture, but Jesus didn't have all of the access to all of the authority and strength and power that he had before he came to this earth. And in fact, as we know, Jesus was crucified. He died a man. He died a man's death. And he stayed dead, if you will, for three days. But then he was resurrected. That's the exciting part of that story. And in the resurrection, God the Father restored Jesus to his full authority. We read in this passage the very first words of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now remember back when Jesus was being tempted by Satan. What was it that Satan was trying to convince Jesus to do? Do you remember? He was trying to convince Jesus to bow to him. And in exchange, Satan promised him 
dominion over the entire earth. Something that Jesus had started out with and let go of to become a man. But do you see what's happened here? The Father has restored not only dominion over the entire earth. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth. That's all that there is. There is no place in the universe. No place in all of creation where Jesus doesn't have absolute total authority. So, the text then says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, and most of us are, when somebody asks you, so what is the command that Jesus has just given now that he's established his authority? Most of us will answer, well, it's go, right? We in the Baptist culture, we in American Baptist culture in particular, we are really focused on this idea of going. We're very good at it. In fact, all the flags right here, and that's not even all of them, demonstrate that we're focused outwardly significantly. We just have sent, in the last year, teams to places like India, Germany, Jordan, uh, and many others, Lebanon. But that's not actually what the command is. The command here is not go. And I'm not going to get into a big description about Greek text and grammar and all that, but the verb in this sentence is make disciples. Make disciples. Jesus says, I've been given all authority there is. I am in charge of everything, and I'm commissioning you, I'm telling you, make disciples. It's interesting because we get caught up with the idea of go, and that's simple and easy. We say, well, we're supposed to send out missionaries. That's what we're supposed to do. But those 11 disciples that heard Jesus Speaking these words that morning understood what we need to understand. And that is, Jesus had just charged them with a mission. He had just explained his whole purpose for them for the rest of their lives. And in fact, if we look and skip ahead to the end of the story at the very end, Jesus promises to be with them while they're doing this until the very end of the age. That is the very end of all things. Until Jesus returns and culminates the entire history of history, we're to be making disciples. Continually reproducing. What is a disciple? Maybe we should address that next. A disciple, simply put, is a follower, somebody who follows another person, who tries to live the way that person did. Rabbis commonly in the ancient Near East, in that time when Jesus was walking the earth, had disciples. Lots of people had disciples. A small group of men, maybe, that would be following them, learning what they learned, doing what they did, teaching what they taught. It was a way of reproducing the leadership of the Jewish nation. 
Jesus had his disciples. The difference was that these disciples, these 12 at the time, 11 at this time, their job was to do something completely different. Not just learn what Jesus learned and teach what Jesus taught there as they followed him around. They were to go out. They were to go out. Outside of Israel. Outside of the ancient Near East. Outside of everything that they had known. Look at this. Go and make disciples of who? All nations. The word is ethnos. It's the word we get our uh, English word ethnic from. What Jesus is telling them is, I don't want you to stay right here in Israel. I don't want you to be disciples that are training people, making other disciples here in Israel. I want you to go out. When the Jews heard this word, what they heard was Gentiles. What they heard was heathens. Jesus is commanding his disciples to go make disciples way out. This was new. This was, in fact, kind of scandalous. Who were these people that were learning this, that were hearing it from Jesus? They were Jews. Jews. Those were the people who God had called my people. The set-aside ones. The set-apart ones. And now they're not so set-apart after all. In fact... They're told to go spread the gospel to the whole world. Now let's go back and look at that word go. Because I don't want to skip over it before we move on. Jesus says in the English text here, and I'm reading out of the NIV if you're wondering. Therefore, go and make disciples. The word go here, I said, is not the main verb, but it is a verb. It has some action involved with it. The word go is a word that contains this idea that we should be um, doing this before we do the main verb. We should be going before we do making disciples. You could maybe translate this something like, while you are going or as you are going, or now that you have gone, make disciples. Maybe we read it this way. While you are going, be disciple-making people. The issue that Jesus is addressing here as he sends them away from their gathering isn't that he wants them to go somewhere specific. It's that He wants them, wherever they go and however they get there and whatever they do after they get there, to be disciple makers. Now, I've talked a lot so far about those 11 guys, but what's that have to do with us this morning? Well, what does a disciple do? First and foremost, Jesus' disciples reproduce. Jesus wasn't telling 11 guys, go make another one, and then you're done. This is an ongoing thing. It's something that lasts for the end, all the way to the end of the age. All disciples are to be disciple-making people. That's you and me. 
If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're a person that says, yeah, I'm a Christian, you have a mission. I have a mission. And that mission is not to occasionally, when you get the chance, if things work out that way, maybe mention something to somebody about who Jesus is. It's not something that's supposed to be sort of squished into the little corners of life where it fits. No, this is supposed to be what Jesus has commanded us is that disciple-making is for every one of us the number one thing that we're supposed to do. When I got my commission in the Air Force, there was one thing that I was supposed to do that was something that we called the commander's intent. It was something I was always responsible to know. That way, if I got separated from my commander at some point during operation, I didn't suddenly stop and wonder, oh no, what do I do now? I already knew the plan. I already knew the objective. And whether I could communicate with my superior leadership or not, I knew what I was supposed to do then. This is your commander's intent. This is God's intent. God's intent for your life is that you and me, we together, we go make disciples because we're disciple-making people. That's who we are. It's our identity. It is a description of what we do because we're Christians. All authority was given to Jesus and he transferred that authority to us for that very specific reason. So what else do we see in the text? Well, there's a couple of other verbs that we see in there. One says baptizing. Another one says teaching. These two verbs are subordinate verbs to the main verb, which is make disciples. This is how we make disciples. These are sort of the two sides of the coin of disciples making. First, baptizing. Now, the idea here is not just go around and get as many people as you can and dunk them underwater. The idea here is that what is baptism? It's an outward expression of an inward change, right? Our responsibility to be witnesses should result in people around us coming to know the truth of the gospel. They should be becoming disciple makers too. In so doing, they become believers and the baptism represents what's gone on inside. The other side of this coin then is teaching. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Well, that's actually quite a bit. Jesus has a lot of stuff to say to us, doesn't he? I want you to flip real fast with me over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. If there's ever a time when you feel like, boy, I just don't know what God's will is for me. I'm losing focus. Just flip to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is a chapter that's probably one of the most densely packed chapters of what God's will is for you in the entire scripture. There are other places, but this is a really good one. 
those times when you feel like, oh, I just don't know what I should do. We can pick it up anywhere we want. Let's start in verse 12. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule over your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Have you caught anything that you might be supposed to do yet? We could go on. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, don't forget you have one too. All of these are things that we are to be teaching others. That's what discipleship is. That's what a disciple maker does. We spread the gospel. We teach others who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we offer that opportunity for somebody to follow in our footsteps. And accept the grace that Jesus has offered. And we teach Now, we've seen what a commission is, this delegation of authority for the accomplishment of a mission. We've seen who was commissioned, every one of us that's a believer, all followers of Jesus. We've seen what the commission is. It's to be making disciples wherever we go and whoever we are. We've seen two specific tasks involved evangelism, and teaching. And we've seen who the audience of our message is. All people, every nation, every ethnic group. What we haven't seen yet is a promise that Jesus leaves us with. We're not out, we're not out there on our own in this. He says, surely... In fact, that word is extremely uh, strong. It's kind of like if someone wants to take you by the shoulders and shake you and go, pay attention, this part's really important. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus said. If we flip back to the very beginning, you don't have to go there, Matthew 1. We're reminded of something that we heard back in the Old Testament about who this guy Jesus was. Because an angel came to Jesus' earthly father and said to him, you're going to call this baby who's going to be born Jesus, which is Emmanuel, God with us. That's the beginning of Matthew. And here in the very last verse of Matthew, on the complete other end, Jesus says, don't forget, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if I've done my job as a preacher this morning, 
You are fully aware of the doctrine you've been taught. You understand the mission that Jesus gave us. You uh, know who it is, who a disciple is, that's you, and you know what you're supposed to do. So now, as a preacher, I'm going to get in your business a little bit. Pastor Bob once told me the job of a preacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So get ready, here comes the affliction. If you're a believer, that means that you have been given this task. You've submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus. You said at some point that you would renounce, that you would repent from your sin, and that you'd follow him, recognizing your need for forgiveness and your complete complete inability to do anything about it yourself. You call out to God for his free gift of salvation and accepted it and him as your Savior and your Lord. That's the gospel, and you believe it. So, this is where the uncomfort starts. If I was to look at your life as an outsider, would I see disciples being made or would your life look like minded for years decades really like a person who assented to the leadership of God in their lives mentally but I didn't have any evidence outside me that I understood Jesus mission and was following it If you're like I was, you might be getting even more uncomfortable now. You also might not be really sure how to even know if you're fulfilling the mission of God. Well, there's good news. We have just a few minutes left, and I'm going to tell you. You have a group of people in your life that God's put you into contact with a group of people I'll call those in your sphere of influence they might be the mailman co-workers classmates at school fellow club members neighbors down the street they might be your kids athletic coaches or their teachers they might be the doctors and nurses at the hospital where you seem to go too much They might be that person that cares for you at home because you can't really care for yourself well anymore. If you're a person who's in the hospital, if you're bedridden, if you're handicapped mentally or physically, you'll notice in this passage, Jesus gives no exceptions to this command. There aren't any that are too young or too old. There are none who are given other tasks to do. Disciple-making is universally our responsibility as believers. Wherever you are, you have that group of people around you. Maybe you think, well, I don't really know anybody. Do you? You want to compare Facebook friend counts? I'll bet you know somebody. 
Whoever those people are for us, that's the nations that we're supposed to be preaching this gospel to. We live in a unique country, this United States of America, and as I look out, I can see lots of different ethnic groups represented here this morning. We're not just a single group of people. We're a huge group of people from all over. Whoever those people are in your life, they should be hearing from you. They should be seeing the gospel lived out in your life day after day. They should be being taught, if they're believers, to follow. Kind of like you do. But if you're like me, you might be kind of embarrassed right now. Embarrassed by the lack of focus on the mission that you've had. You might be making excuses in your mind for why you can't really do this. Why this isn't really the mission God gave you. Why you probably aren't included in the disciples here. There's usually about three reasons why we make those excuses, why we try to back out of this responsibility that God gave us. The first is you believe something about yourself that's not true. For example, maybe you think you're not well enough educated. Some of you know that I just finished seminary, and let me promise you, and those other seminary graduates in the room, and I know there's a few, will affirm me in this. Being a seminary graduate doesn't make you more godly. just makes you more educated. A formal education was never a requirement anyway. Look who those 11 guys were, fishermen. In fact, several people throughout the Gospels commented on the fact that who are these guys anyways? They're not educated. And look what they're doing. Why were they able to do that? It was the Holy Spirit in them. When Peter gave that message on Pentecost, it wasn't because he was an amazing fisherman that he gave that amazing message that caused thousands of people to repent. He wasn't any more educated then than he was when he started, except that he'd been following Jesus, living a life, watching how Jesus walked, living how Jesus lived. And so can you. That same Holy Spirit that lives in Peter and John and Paul lives in you and me. Now, Jesus didn't give any exceptions to the commission. He said, if you're a disciple, you're to be making disciples. That's your mission. A second possibility for why you may be feeling that sort of, I need to back out of this a little bit, is because you believe something about God that's not true. Maybe that's what's in your way. Maybe you have a view of God that's based on an earthly father that was not there when he should have been there. Or that left you right when you needed him the most. And you kind of feel like God's setting you up for the fall here just like your earthly dad did. Maybe you believe that your sin, that one that love, that one, Maybe you believe that sin is just a little bit more than Jesus was willing to forgive. 
a step too far. Let me tell you the truth. We've all been there. We've all felt that. But you know what? When Jesus was on the cross and died for your sin, it wasn't just most of them. It was all of them. You see, Jesus' blood covers every sin that every man has ever sinned, and woman, by the way, in the entire world throughout all of history from Adam to the very last person born on earth. Sometimes I still go back there to those feelings of, ah, did God really use me? Look what I did. Don't sell God short. God's love for you was never based on your inability to perform to his standard. Never. God's love for you is based on his ability to forgive everything because he already paid the price. Don't believe those lies. The best we can bring is really not very much anyways. Paul said that the best he could accomplish, the best thing that he could bring to the table, this is the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote three quarters of the New Testament, right? He said, the best thing I can bring is filthy rags without the power of God. And if you know the scriptures very well, you know that that's a really polite term, what for what Paul actually said. Somehow we maybe believe that Jesus paying the ultimate price for our sin wasn't enough, but it was. God's grace is for everyone. Go share that. Let other people know how much grace is out there. You don't have to really soak this all the way in and be absolutely convinced every day of your life before you can take a step into somebody else's life and share that with them I'm not there yet step into this redemption that you've been given it will change your life and it will change theirs the last reason that we may be feeling we, we kind of need to back out of this a little bit and, and separate ourselves from this commission is that we're believing something that the world has told us that's a lie. One big excuse you might be making is you're too busy. You have lots of stuff going on. You have kids in school or you have grandkids you're trying to keep up with. You have a job. You're trying to do some extra stuff at the church to help out. Maybe you're helping in Awana or you're teaching a Sunday school Maybe you're climbing the ladder at work or you're busy homeschooling your kids or you're trying to find the right guy to marry or gal. Maybe you're being a deacon or an elder and that takes up a ton of time. Maybe you're going to seminary like I was. You're busy and you're too busy. You don't have any space left in your schedule to make this work. Once again, let me speak some truth. If you're too busy to do the mission that your Savior gave you, you are too busy. 
It's time to let the truth of the gospel start to have an effect on what's going on in your life. It's time to stop doing something that's crowding out God's command for you. And believe me when I say, I am preaching to the choir. You know, if you're an Awana leader, you have an incredible opportunity to be speaking into the lives of young children, to be making disciples at the earliest age. I hope you're taking that opportunity. But you know what? An Awana leader can come and check the box and walk out the door and Thursday night at 10 p.m. not have affected one kid. A pastor... A preacher can get up here and make a great speech that everyone goes, wow, that was so good, Bob, that really convicted me. And walk out the door and have nothing different to say for himself. A deacon, an elder, a ladder climbing businessman, a CEO, a garbage man, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing, there's always something else that screams for your attention. The world screams for your attention because it wants to get your attention away from the mission that God's given you. Don't lose sight. Making disciples is the mission that Jesus gave you. The Great Commission, it's called a co-mission. It's God's mission. And he's given you the privilege and the command to do it with him. So if you've followed me this far, I hope that I've made you a little uncomfortable. You realize that I'm talking to you. So what do you do about this? Where do we go? My job wasn't to come here and make us all feel bad and then go get coffee. That wasn't really the point. John 8, 31 to 32 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've just given you three lies, three reasons why we tend not to do the things that God's called us to. We believe things about ourselves that are not true. We believe things about God that are not true. And we believe things the world tells us about what's really important that are not true. But Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You want to be set free to do God's work? You want to know what God's will is? Then do what God gave you to do. This is really tough to say. But in churches all across America today and probably right in this room, there are people sitting in churches who gave their sort of mental assent that, yeah, God's God. And I live a pretty good life. I come to church. I mean, I'm here, right? And who are going to die and go to hell because they've never submitted their lives to their Savior. Don't be one of those people. Look at your life. 
This passage in John 8 tells us that we can look at our lives and tell if we are really disciples. He says, if you hold to my teaching, literally, if you live in or if you abide, if you do the things that I've taught you. James 2, 17 and 19 says, so also, by, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Works can't save you. Being a disciple maker doesn't get you in to heaven. Only Jesus can save. Only by faith. But a saving faith is not one that results in nothing. So, you're saved. You've heard me. You're kind of a little uncomfortable. What can you do this morning, right now? What is it that you can step into that is the first step in the beginning of a journey of being a disciple maker? Well, think about those people in your sphere of influence that I was talking about. People you know. Maybe people who are here right now, this morning, with you. How can you make a connection with them that's beneficial? Maybe you can find someone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel. And you can tell them. Maybe you, need, maybe you know somebody who needs an encouraging word. Go give it to them. Don't leave the room until they've been encouraged. Maybe you know somebody who needs to walk the path you've already walked. Maybe a difficult path in life that you've walked. And others are going to walk it too. Take them by the hand and lead them down that road. Maybe you know, know somebody who needs to learn to love her husband or someone who needs to learn to respect and love her wife. His wife, sorry. Maybe you, need to, you know somebody who needs to know and believe that there really is forgiveness after that sin. Tell them. Encourage them. Maybe somebody needs to know and believe that they aren't a slave to sin because they've been set free and how to walk in that freedom. Maybe somebody needs a prayer warrior to stand with them this morning before you walk out those doors and pray over them. Maybe, and I know there are some, maybe there's somebody walking through the valley of the shadow of death this morning. Walk with them. Just be there. These are the things that are about disciple making. Drawing people into the knowledge of Jesus and then walking with them in life. Allowing them to learn from you as you go. That's it. It's not complicated. Don't leave this room this morning without making a commitment. A commitment to take action that demonstrates that you understand your mission. Go do it. If you're one of his disciples, start this morning. Take that first step of obedience before you leave. You were born for this. 
you were born again for this. Jesus' mission is your mission. Go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything that Jesus commanded you. And he will be with you every step of the way, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, your words, again, your message, your people. It's such an important message for every single one of us to hear. I pray in your grace that you would stir the hearts of people in this room and that as they leave this morning, they would take action based on the faith that they have in you. For your glory and for your kingdom in Jesus' name, amen.